You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So big week, Connor. The Supreme Court has been very active on uh, guns and abortion, and, and the World Series concluded. Yes, it did. So huge week. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't very satisfying yeah. for those of us uh, who don't live in the Atlanta or Houston areas. Yeah, not a, not a fun series. It's a somewhat distasteful series. On the one hand, you have the uh, perennial cheaters, Astros, uh, who, of course, we as Dodger fans hate. And then you have the Braves, who beat the Dodgers, and also have a bunch of very classless fans doing the tomahawk chalk, chop and mimicking Native American uh, cultural music and dance as part of their uh, we're going to beat you uh, sports cheer. So not a fun uh, World Series to watch. I watched uh, about 10 seconds. Of as one little game. as possible. Yeah. Well, we're going to be talking about uh, Donald Trump's reaction to the death of Colin Powell. Uh, so we're going to put Donald Trump on the couch. Uh, it's always dangerous to make long distance psychiatric evaluations and diagnoses. But Fortunately, not, we're not we're doctors, so there's no danger at yeah, all. Right? We're, we're not going to get sued for yeah. psychiatric malpractice. Yeah. Well, we might be. You know, yeah. Trump, Trump's sued for, for less for less reasons. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, gun rights. Uh, Supreme Court had a big gun hearing. Uh, we probably will get the decision in a few months or at the latest June. Um, but the issue is, do you really need the government to bless your uh, request to uh, have a gun in public, a uh, concealed weapon? And finally, we're going to follow up. We're going to advance on the story. Uh, why no COVID shots for the undocumented uh-huh. at the border? I think I have some it's ideas. Kind of a, it's kind of a favorite evergreen topic. Uh-huh. Uh, before we get to those uh, three topics, so a little, little more on baseball. Um, no more bullpen. Uh, Connor, have you heard this? No. Yeah, yeah. Peter, Peter does not want oh, the word bullpen. The name is. bullpen. And for those of you who are communist spies from Russia and don't know baseball, the bullpen <laughs> is where the relief pitchers warm up before they come in and play American baseball. Yeah, and it's sort of a penned-in area with a or fence Canadian baseball. where a big, a big swinging portion of the outfield fence opens up, 
and thus in the same way that you have a, a, a like a bullfighter ring mm-hmm. you open up the big swinging portion of the fence and out comes the bull it's the same thing with the the relief pitcher yeah and the so relief very, pitcher comes out snorting and pawing the, the kind of uh, yeah and, they and, do and looking for the guys with the red uniforms right that they right can, right that I they mean, can kill it's pretty it's pretty evocative as a as a, a you know a, a reference um, and it, it really does look like opening up the bullpen. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about it. PETA, yeah. People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, has called on Major League Baseball to retire the term bullpen and start using a more animal-friendly term. Uh, they said as the World Series turns into a pitching duel, PETA is pitching a proposal to yeah. the baseball world. And they used italics because apparently they like their fun over at PETA. They oh, like, yeah. They like puns. They're, they're fun lovers. Then they said, let's strike out the word bullpen. <laughs> they're so clever. They're like Hemingway, which references the holding area where terrified bulls are kept before slaughter in favor of a more modern animal-friendly term. PETA's suggestion, the arm barn. You think that'll catch on? The arm mm, barn. The arm barn. Yeah, looks like Tommy Lasorda is uh, going to go to the arm barn. Well, <laughs> not Tommy. He, we lost no, Tommy. Probably not. Anyway, the animal rights group argued the baseball bullpen. Um, uh, it references uh, the rodeo areas where sometimes the bulls are slaughtered. Um, I don't know. Uh, Americans, uh, any Americans other than aging rodeo stars, Nursing their fifty-seven compound fractures. Do any Americans think of the of a bull killing field when they hear Joe Buck on Fox Sports say Dusty Baker's going to the bullpen? No, really, they don't. And also, I'm pretty sure at the radio they don't rodeo. They don't slaughter the bulls there. Well, I hope not. I It'd think have to be some sort of sicko rodeo guy like, to I, do that. Uh, Peta Peta has plenty of grounds to criticize. The uh, bull roping has been canceled, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the Cowboys slaughtered the bull <laughs> in the bullpen. And by the way, apologies for calling you ladies and gentlemen because i know a lot of you out there in the rodeo audience are not binary yeah 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 in the rodeo audience you're yeah. like tertiary or quadrilateral yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so um it, it does seem silly i'd say pete has a lot of grounds for criticizing americans for eating mm, i don't know is it millions or billions do we think of cows uh but uh, for I don't know. I read, I read someplace bullpen. that bullpen. That one, mm, not much. I read someplace that insects outnumber. Uh, oh yeah, by like the hundred thousand to one, which is very scary because if they ever like unionize, yeah, and get yeah, organized, yeah. we are in deep doo doo. You know, ants alone outnumber. Step on us, will you? They outnumber humans by weight. They outweight and outmass humans, wow. which means that there are more. You yeah. know, I mean, how many ants is it to make one person? It's that times how many people there are ants out there in the world. Yeah. So horrifying. So you <laughs> mentioned uh, the tomahawk chop, and I, I probably have bored you with this story, but years ago I was at Dodger Stadium when Ted Turner owned the Atlanta Braves, and he was married to the infamous and, and delightful uh, Jane Fonda. And they both, the two of them, were in the stands. It was a, a Braves game, of course, at Dodger Stadium. They were in the stands doing the tomahawk chop. Yeah. And Ted's very liberal. Mm-hmm. Jane Fonda is very liberal. Right. Uh, you know, doesn't the fact that they were comfortable doing this racist tomahawk chop, doesn't that make you feel better about when, the whole thing? Sorry, when was this? The 80s? Yeah, or 90s. Okay. I don't know. Well, then I Could guess, have been the 10s. Kind of all the last several decades I, I, blurred I together for me. I don't think anyone listened to uh, First Nations people, Native Americans, uh, whoever was complaining at the time. Uh, until like 2010. Like that was the first time anyone was like, oh, maybe the Washington football team shouldn't be called a literal racial slur. Yeah. Like maybe. 
Like, nobody gave a crap for well, how come, 100 how come, years. How come the Braves are allowed to keep their name Great question. and the Washington Redskins the answer is the, caved and changed yeah, the name? the demographics of the fans. It's absolutely 100% will you're there be a backlash. The Southerners and, in, in Georgia are, ra- are there, racist? Is that what you're is saying? Is there some difference in the are demographics you, between Washington, you our aware? blackest not state, because they're too black to become a state, so the the they won't make Washington, D.C. a state. Yeah, so Washington Redskins is there a racial a element to the Puerto Rico statehood issue as well? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what about Georgia Demo- electing the two Democrats to the Senate? That's Wasn't fantastic. that a, a sign at, that they're now woke and progressive? Let's look at the demographics of baseball watchers in Georgia. Guess who they are? It's a bunch of white people. Black people you in know, Atlanta I don't like the Braves. The home games in Atlanta, and they weren't all white. They're ninety-eight percent white. <laughs> Compared to the actual demographics well, of Georgia, it's the whitest sport imaginable. Let me imaginable. give you the the um, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred's uh, take on this. He said he defended the chop as well as the Braves' name. He said, "Quote: The Braves have done a phenomenal job with the Native American community." The Native American community in that region is wholly supportive of the Braves program, including the CHOP. For me, that's kind of the end of the story. In that market, we're taking into account the Native American community. He likes that phrase. He sure does. Native American community. So do you have some reason to think that Major League Commissioner is is a... Is a damned liar. He's a damned liar. Yeah, I do. I do have a. I do have a, a, a suspicion that undermines my confidence in the national pastime. But at the same time, you know, obviously, I'm not the guy who makes a decision about whether this is offensive. It has nothing to do with me. So. I am, of course, just like the commissioner, listening to the Native American community. I'm confident that most of them, uh, I would say, in America are unhappy with it. If he's found some small group that he can pull from and talk to and say, these folks are okay with it, so we're not going to change it. Well, guess what? Uh, Your Atlanta Braves play all over the United States. So here's the uh, final comment by Mr. Manfred, Uh the commissioner. He said... We try to stay Mr. Personfred, sir, it's 2021. He says, we try to stay apolitical and like to keep the focus on the field, on the game. Right. Uh, Oh, unless a couple of people uh, don't like the Georgia voting uh, rules, in which case we're going to move the All-Star game to Denver. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Other than that, we're apolitical. Totally apolitical. What is he? Of amnesia? He was so woke in the summer. Oh, my goodness. Some Democrats and some strong media outlets and and Nike doesn't Mm -hmm. want our Major League All-Star game in Atlanta. Of course. Yes. Whatever you want. And now he's apolitical. Yeah. I think there's something wrong with this. Anybody who's saying they're apolitical is lying to you. Yes. Um, Also, before we get to our our topics. um, (laughs) The actual show. Yeah. There's the uh, abortion update. So Mm, on November 1, uh, last Monday, Supreme Court held the hearing on the text. Texas law that weaponized lawsuits saying if you see somebody getting an abortion, you may sue them and make all kinds of money. Like a $10,000 bounty. Yeah, a three-hour oral argument. And the signals are uh, some of the conservative justices who back in September said, "Eh, we're going to let the Texas law continue pending court fights. looks like they're changing their minds. They're suggesting that in spite of this weird structure of the law, weaponizing lawsuits, not telling government officials to enforce the law, just letting people sue, that the Supreme Court might put the law on the shelf pending court challenges. Uh, They seemed okay with uh, doing that in the case where the abortion clinic has been sued, um, but not okay with the federal government's uh, lawsuit against Texas. So so they're, they're making some inside baseball distinctions. But Justice Kavanaugh said the Texas law exploited a loophole in court precedent 
about when state officials may be barred from enforcing constitutional laws. So he thinks maybe the state should should close that loophole. And you know, the old what's good for the goose is good for the gander idea. Kavanaugh also wondered, what if states pass similar laws that infringe other constitutional rights, like the right to bear arms? Uh, you know, a million dollars in damages uh, if you catch somebody uh, uh, buying an AR-15 rifle. So it sounds like that got his attention. And, yeah, um, for sure. I think those are, are good analogies, of course. I think that the the justices seem to be several months late in terms of offering up the uh, points that you and I made on this podcast uh, previously. It's almost like they weren't listening. Uh, but yeah, I mean, eventually, if they come around and, and come to the right conclusion, sure. The problem being exactly what their colleague Sotomayor, uh, Justice Sotomayor, said in her scathing dissent to their first round uh, encounter with this. Every moment that you leave this law, which is obviously intentionally constructed in a way to escape judicial review, every moment that you leave it in place, you are denying people their constitutional rights. People are out there who need abortions who aren't getting them. And that is a huge problem. It's a crisis that's happening every single day. And now months later, the conservatives are saying the most obvious things in the entire world like, oh, I guess maybe this is constructed to get uh, to create a loophole. And well, what if you applied this to other scenarios? Wouldn't that be a horrific slippery slope? I don't know. Scratch my head like an ape. I'm going to pretend I'm really, really dumb. So what you're saying is the conservatives on the Supreme Court are actually a lot like Gomer Pyle. Correct. Well, Kavanaugh is. The others are just faking it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, normally we actually get to the first topic before the first break, but we didn't. Instead, uh, we are going to get to putting Donald Trump on the couch when we return. But first, Connor is going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. If you like the pod, make sure you click that join on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Stitcher or Spotify or whatever other platform you use. Podcast Addict, who knows? Um, And in addition to being subscribed or joined or, uh, you know, squatted up or whatever you want to call it, whatever on on your platform calls it, um, make sure that you uh, leave us a rating and a comment on, on your platform of choice because we really appreciate it. It helps out and we like reading them. It feels good. Maybe I shouldn't ask this, Connor, but what does squatted up mean? I don't think I've ever squad, heard that expression. Like, like a squad of people. Oh, squatted yeah, up. I think you said up. squatted up. No, that would be good. That would be, oh, I'm not sure that would be good. Up. My <laughs> knees are hurting just thinking about squatting up. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Lopes. Hey, I'm Conrad. So normally we do get to our uh, first of our three official topics before the first break, but but Connor talked a little too much, I think. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, That's a new one. To allow that to happen. No, I'm kidding. You talked just the right amount. Thank you. It was the the words they used that were the problem, not the, oh, not the volume. See, not the volume. Got it, got it. All right. So um, Colin Powell died this week. Uh, the funeral was held. And near universal acclaim for this uh, amazing uh, public uh, citizen. Uh, he was general, a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Secretary of State. So Donald Trump of course, came through with a classless comment about Colin Powell. Uh, He said, it's wonderful to see Colin Powell, who made big mistakes on Iraq and famously so-called weapons of mass destruction, be treated in death so beautifully by the fake news media. Trump said, hope that happens to me someday. He was a classic rhino, Republican in name only, if even that, always being the first to attack other Republicans. He made plenty of mistakes, but anyway, may he rest in peace. Uh, do you think Donald Trump understands that he passed away, that, that this is a time to comment after somebody died? Yeah, yeah. I mean, does he understand look, the concept of death? Look, I, I will say this. I am on the side of Donald Trump 
in that you do not have to uh, avoid speaking ill of the dead. So that is the only thing that Donald Trump and I will ever agree on, I think, uh, other than the fact that breathing oxygen is beneficial. Maybe that would be a, a second area where we're on the same page. Well, Connor, if it's I Hitler, I get it. Yeah. You know, y- you don't say nice things or neutral things about him because after all, Adolf is dead and right. think of his family. Look, this is Colin Powell, not Adolf Hitler. Okay, when people whip Don't you out- just shut up if you don't have anything nice to say about a guy like Colin Powell? No, absolutely not, because the rich and powerful uh, who who run our world should know that if they're a piece of crap during life, that they will get torn apart. I can't when believe they die. you're defending Donald Trump. On this. I, I look, I'm an equal uh, equal opportunity <laughs> defender, you know, uh, shit, shit talker about the dead. I will I will tell you that this these silly platitudes, the idea that we should be nice to people uh, and and preserve their legacies when they don't deserve it, uh, is silly. And I will tell you, Colin Powell had many opportunities to. Not go along with and, you know, prop up and then execute the orders of his commander in chief, George W. Bush, who made some extremely bad decisions about foreign policy in the Middle East (laughs) on the basis of very little to know to uh, actively misleading uh, the American public uh, based on the intelligence and the idea that we would look back on him and be like, well, you know, he was uh, a, a good general during the, the Vietnam War. And then he had this, this sort of uh, reputation but for Connor, being a good guy. But Connor, you're giving... I don't give a crap about that. I care about how he killed millions of people effectively, uh, lots of Americans in the Middle East and destabilized the entire area and created this massive wave of anti-Americanism that's lasted for multiple decades, all because these idiots uh, like uh, he and George W. Bush and uh, Karl Rove and uh, Dick Cheney, they thought we can be the new British Empire. We can run the entire world. We can right, control all the resources. That's not what of the motivated world. Trump in, in his comments. He doesn't doesn't have a, a, a reasoned, you uh, know, a result true. of critical thinking, Absolutely criticism true. of. Instead, all it is with Trump is he wasn't nice to me. That's all That's, it boils you're, down you're to. Right, you're so right. what you're doing with your comments, you're actually in a way letting Trump get away with something that was really irresponsible and a, fu- and a function of but his personality irrespons- disorder. It is a personality disorder. Absolutely. Trump has to criticize anybody who doesn't personally like him. Yes, you're totally right. And it's a very powerful rhetorical strategy because it the his light, his followers, his fans out there recognize what he's doing, even if it's just subconscious. And they then feel emboldened to do the same thing, criticize people who, that they don't like and that don't like them. And you're right that that is a toxic, dangerous attitude have. But the idea that somebody's legacy is sacrosanct, that is silly. That is antiquated. And we should leave that in the dust because people should know. John Roberts should know. He will be remembered as the justice who presided over the court that killed Roe v. Wade. He he will know. He should know that his legacy is going to be equal parts his good and his bad. It should be. And the idea that we would look back on somebody the moment they die or a year later or five years later or in the history books and say, well, you know what? They did good things, so let's not talk about the bad things they do. That, I think, is a serious problem. I'm not defending Trump. Your attitude, though, is a function of the fact that you are so deeply disappointed with the mainstream of American politics, with the, the centrist trend uh, that, that we see over the decades that, you know, you don't see the Barry Goldwaters, the extreme right or the extreme left running the show. You do, because I think uh, Reagan and Bush are the extreme right. But go ahead. Well, I think the bottom line is that, that it's all a matter of civility. I mean, you're Connor, you're putting yourself in the position of Larry David 
because in Curb Your Enthusiasm, mm. every episode mm. is about Larry's mm. yeah. reluctance to embrace the common sense of civility, civility and yeah. normal yeah. statements yeah, yeah. That, that most everybody would embrace. And that's why it's such a weird show, because he's not the hero of the show. Well, he's I, kind of the villain he's of the, the show. anti-hero, yeah. but he, he's the main. He's, he's the, the main protagonist, guy. but he's kind of also the villain. I'd, so that's why it's great. I, I just wonder if Donald Trump really thinks like this with all the stuff he said about, <clears throat> or if it's or just does he a desperate just, plea for attention, or does he say it because he thinks that's what his base wants? You mm. know, his advisors. I, I, I've noticed in a couple of books about the election, uh, the 2020 election, his advisors kept telling Trump during his term, "Look." Um, you have to understand your base is going to vote for you no matter what you say. Your mm -hmm. base right. loves you, okay? Right. Right. So if you want to win the election, you have to reach out to the centrists with a fair-minded, commonsensical manner. That's how you can win, otherwise you'll lose. Well, he ignored them and Completely. he lost. And his motivation uh, may not have been a political calculus. It may have just been his personality disorder. I mean, he's like an eight-year-old kid who is spoiled and focuses only on what makes him happy, judges people only through the prism of, does he like me? Is he nice to me? Is he giving me what I want? That's yeah. Donald Trump. And, and I guess the question is, how does a person get stuck in that mindset? Well, I would say that we, we should be wary of taking the wrong lesson from his loss in uh, the last election against Joe Biden. I think that he won in 2016 precisely by disregarding the people who told him, do the normal thing in right. politics, and, and be a, civil. A lot of people say that's why he wouldn't listen to the advice right. later because he right. said, I, this is how I got here. Yeah. I'm going to stay. Rush to them, uh, move to the middle to win uh, the general election, to try to reach across the aisle to some uh, to some uh, uh, portion of untapped voters. And Donald Trump said, I'm not either smart enough or savvy enough or have enough self-control to do any of that. Or he said, I think you guys are wrong. I think the Connor Oaks model of political uh, engagement and voter turnout uh, driving is actually a, uh, the correct one. You never reach across the aisle. You never get anybody who's truly undecided. You're never going to get Connor to vote for you, no matter how uh, bipartisan you appear in the last six months before the election or last day before the election. It's not going to happen. All you've got to do is get people angrier. All you've got to do is get more people who really secretly are, are, are you know, when they're alone in the voting booth, Donald Trump voters, you need to get them out there energized, angry, vindictive, whatever emotion it is that you can drive use to drive people to the poll. It's all about turnout. And while people say, oh, your base will already vote for you, your base will not all show up unless you're exciting. It, it, the Donald Trump's strategy was massively, incredibly effective when he lost to Joe Biden. He got the second most votes of any presidential candidate in uh, all because of everybody's American voting by mail. history. Sure. But for whatever reason, I mean, uh, uh, there's a set of reasons. Even if he hadn't if he hadn't been exciting enough, people wouldn't have bothered to do the vote by mail thing either. You're right. I'm sure that that you know, expanded vote by mail because of COVID was a factor in how many votes were cast. But. The second most in history matters that he had a massively successful campaign and he got incredibly close to getting a second term as president. He did get a first term. So to discount the strategy of enrage people, inflame your base, ignore reaching across the aisle. I think that is the, probably the best strategy in you know American political history. 
Name a person who has truly reached across the aisle. Well, there are the landslide political victories where the other side was, you know, embarrassed. It was like 49 to one. Right. And then we've got Obama. Maybe Obama's an example of well, somebody. Bill Clinton kind of reached across the aisle when he was facing some trouble in his terms of office. Yeah. He okay. So raised say, work fair. And so he became more moderate. Yeah. So I, I, th- I say Bill Clinton's second term is a good example of somebody who reached across the aisle to some degree. I'd say that uh, Obama's first term, he probably got a lot of people who wanted to be excited, part of a historical political moment, first black president, that sort of thing. Uh, and there are, there are some examples of uh, American presidents who uh, just totally rolled over their opponents and, and with, with landslide 49 to 1 types like Jimmy Carter's uh, Jimmy Carter didn't even run for a second term, did he? Oh, he did. He lost he, to Ronald Reagan. Okay, so his second term, he got completely destroyed, right, by Ronald Reagan. He, he Reagan, you know, obliterated him. And Reagan didn't obliterate him on the basis of, uh, you know, inflaming his base. Uh, Reagan's first well, stagflation hurt Carter, right? Yeah, Reagan's first term, uh, he uh, he first election, he basically just had to go out there and say, "I'm a famous actor, and you've seen me on TV, and I'm a, a, a good American, <laughs> and and you should." vote for me and because well, he had been Carter. governor of california for eight years yeah absolutely so uh, in in order to close the loop on our uh, long distance diagnosis of donald trump obviously wanna, deranged wanna, clear want to run some possibilities uh, by you here yeah. so um there are mental diseases like depression and schizophrenia psychosis where you've lost touch with reality so those are big time deals then there are personality disorders right. well that's a long-term pattern of thoughts and behaviors that are unhealthy and inflexible. And they come in several clusters. There's a cluster about odd, eccentric uh, thinking, a paranoid personality mm-hmm. disorder. Schizoid, where you want to be alone, there's no emotional expression. A schizotypal personality disorder, odd dress, thinking, uh, your beliefs are, are weird, you've got social anxiety. Then there's a cluster involving anxiety and fear. People are avoidant of other folks, uh, right. they're excessively dependent on other people, or OCD people with a constant repetition. And then there's the final cluster where uh, it's dramatic, overly emotional thinking. There's Antisocial personality disorder, where you you lie and you steal, you're aggressive. There's borderline, borderline where it's risky disorder. behavior, sex and gambling. There's histrionic, where you're seeking attention. And finally, we come to Donald Trump's personality disorder. It's called narcissistic personality disorder. And here are the symptoms, and see if it sounds familiar, Connor. Exaggerated sense of self-importance, mm-hmm. sense of entitlement, mm-hmm. re- requires constant excessive admiration. Expect to be recognized as superior, even without achievements that warrant it. Uh, I'm preoccupied with fantasies about success, power, brilliance, beauty, etc. Believe they're superior and can only associate with equally special people. It goes on and on. When Donald Trump calls himself uh, a very stable genius, I think that yeah. sort of encapsulates. Yeah, it does. The, so... It's pretty clear. I think we've actually successfully diagnosed the yeah, patient I mean, with that's the, the thing. personality I think we disorder. All rec- but does it really matter no. to the American public? No, it, it does. we all recognize that this guy's. Fr- <laughs> I think that that the problem is that this that people with narcissistic personality disorders are literally the American archetype of the hero. You know, like these are all the CEOs. These are all the sports, you know, figures who who shout that I'm the greatest in the entire world. They're they're politicians uh, who well, scratch like with Muhammad Ali. He knew it was just sort of fun. Yeah, okay, branding, yeah, publicity, absolutely. Right. But but the 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 how do you get to the position of being a Donald Trump on top of a golden tower on TV? Uh, you know, firing people on The Apprentice. The, how do you get to be the CEO of a major uh, American corporation? Mostly, 
It's through having an incredibly diluted and outsized, overlarge uh, conception of yourself compared to other people's conceptions of themselves. Most people are sitting around going, oh, man, am I qualified enough? I've got imposter syndrome. Do I deserve to be here in my job as a low level analyst at this company, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, where my bosses have slightly uh, better degrees or more years of experience than I am? Oh, my gosh, are they going to fire me? That's the sort of normal human condition for people. Right. Uh, To the extent that they, you know, are even lucky enough to be in that sort of position uh, at all. In an office job, the how do you become the CEO? How do you become the face of some for, sort of TV show where you pretend to be a billionaire who fires people? How do you become all of these things? And how do you become a, a presidential candidate who thinks that they could you know, solve the entire world's problems or in Trump's case, not solve any of their problems, except obviously hand out a bunch of tax cuts to their billionaire friends? You have a narcissistic personality disorder. So we idolize people who have these disorders. It actually is not a negative at all. It's a positive. It might even be a mandatory feature. Some people say Lyndon Johnson and Nixon and most of the presidents we've had in the last hundred years have essentially the same traits. They're just more subtle about it in terms of revealing it to the public. And I would say Nixon wasn't exactly subtle about it. After all, you know, recording himself for posterity because he was so arrogant that he thought everything. But he never thought they would see the light of day. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it's arrogant to think that. I mean, he was over the top arrogant and paranoid. Definitely got some stuff going on in that head of old Tricky Dick. Gotta have Pat. Gotta have Pat just run a fire, you know. (laughs) Put the logs on, put the tapes on. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk about gun rights before the Supreme Court. Soon, maybe you'll be able to carry your gun in public any place, any time. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Conor Oaks. So the Supreme Court uh, held a hearing a couple of days ago, Wednesday, November 3rd, on uh, New York's gun law. Uh, now, we know from the Heller case uh, that... Uh, U.S. v. Heller, which Scalia wrote in the early... No, yeah, late 2000s. 10, years 2007, yeah. I think, okay. uh, which basically created the individual right to own guns that said the whole well-regulated militia part of the uh, Constitution. Actually, that means you get to own a Glock. And yeah. everybody said, really? And he said, oh, yeah, it's been there for hundreds of years, everybody. Uh, we all just missed it. Every other Supreme Court justice just missed it. Don't worry. There is a personal constitutional right to own guns. It's 2007. And I'm deciding that's what the Constitution said. And everybody goes, Okay. So essentially, that applied to guns in your home. Right. Now the question is, what about having a gun in public? Now, if you you read the tea leaves from the oral argument uh, on November 3rd, the Supreme Court is probably going to strike down the New York law, which makes it tough to get a concealed weapon permit. Right. But the court will probably agree some restrictions are okay. No guns in subways or bars or stadiums and schools and so on. Questions by the six conservatives on the court suggest that this New York law and the laws of six other states that are similar may be in jeopardy. And Chief Justice Roberts uh, had some interesting comments. He he asked, you know, why does a person seeking a license to carry a gun in public for self-defense have to show a special need to do so? He said, quote, the idea that you need a license to exercise the right, I think, is unusual in the context of the Bill of Rights. But he also was among the justices who, who pressed the lawyers for, for well, where might 
guns be restricted? A football stadium or a college campus? Or could a state say you cannot carry your gun at any place where alcohol is served? So maybe at the end of the day, there won't be a dramatic change. It'll just be a little easier to to have the right to have a concealed weapon in public, but it won't be, you know, anywhere with with no restrictions whatsoever. Yeah, I, I I think that they are very unlikely to do some large, massive, sweeping uh, change. I think that that that's not usually the Supreme Court's uh, uh, plan when they're enacting counter majoritarian. Uh, conservative nonsense. Generally, they slow walk it, they meander around it, they dance, they create inside baseball, as you described earlier, uh, exceptions, which is exactly what's going to happen with the abortion case at the Supreme Court. They're going to say, oh, well, it's not uh, that law it does circumvent our, our jurisdiction in this way. So we're not going to let you do that. And but we're but we're not going to let Joe Biden's Department of Justice step in and do it either, because that's the wrong party to make, make executing this and blah, blah, blah. They don't standing. And people are going to read this and their eyes are going to roll back in their head and they're going to go, I don't What's going on? What are is it okay or not? Is abortion okay or not? Are guns in public okay or not? And the Supreme Court's going to say, "Oh, that's so dumb. You're so dumb. How could you think that that's how we we should conduct ourselves? How could you think that that's how we should write laws and decide things about our society? Well, it makes we sense. We write inside baseball nonsense. It makes that sense no that every understand. every right, First Amendment, right to free speech. There are exceptions. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater, etc. So I think similarly, people are just arguing that the Second Amendment isn't absolutely it is hard, though. Uh, Paul Clement, who is, I think, the former solicitor general, he was arguing uh, on behalf of the New York residents who want an unrestricted right to carry concealed weapons in public. He said to the to the justices that some restrictions on carrying a weapon at government buildings is probably OK. Schools, uh, as the court suggested in their 2008 uh, case, bars, he said, might be a tougher case for the government. Justice Amy Coney Barrett, interestingly, said that there's a history history of states outlawing guns in, quote, sensitive places. Can't we just say Times Square on New Year's Eve is sensitive? People are on top of each other. So we're making a judgment. And Paul Clement, the lawyer arguing for the expanded right, he said, well, that that might be fine. So, yeah, it's going to be difficult for a statute that now survives constitutional muster under this court's uh, decision that will come down in the next several moments. It'll be hard to incorporate every single hypothetical situation. You just can't do it. This is a good example, uh, I think, of one of the lessons um, that is uh, explained best by uh, a branch uh, of uh, legal academic thought that you might have heard of recently called critical legal studies or its subset of critical race theory. But critical legal studies is a uh, postgraduate law, like legal academic inside baseball area of study that says things uh, like broadly our laws aren't our decisions that come down from justices are not uh, an expression of uh, absolute truth of, of rights uh, that, that are given to us by God or something. Uh, they are a manifestation of individuals, um, political opinions um, and biases that go into them. And it's inescapable that uh, our political outcomes are affected by the fact that we have normal humans, uh, even Supreme Court justices and senators are human, as much as I may disagree and think they look like lizard people. It's, it's you know, they are act technically human um, and therefore their uh, political uh, 
beliefs are expressed in the decisions that they make, that, that you can have complicated concepts like due process or uh, the right to bear arms or a concept like freedom of speech or, you know, freedom of association or whatever else. What, what does due process mean? Well, reasonable people disagree on that, but the way that they disagree on it is informed by their view of the world, of power dynamics in this world, of the the haves and the have-nots and the, the wealthy and the poor and everything else. That's what critical legal studies says. And it says exactly this sort of thing. And it says, look, the system is built by the wealthy and powerful. So guess what most of the decisions out there are about. They're about property rights. We care a lot about copyright in this country because we want to make sure the people who have ownership of stuff keep that ownership and nobody steals their stuff. We care a lot about property rights. I'll tell you, property law textbooks are thick. There are a lot of decisions in there. There are a lot of arguments being made about, you know, who owns what and how to preserve that and make sure that, you know, nobody infringes on your rights to ownership. You know what? There are a lot fewer decisions out there about your constitutional right not to die on the street, your constitutional right to have food to put in your mouth in the mouths of your children. Your constitutional right to be able to find a job and to be educated while you're a kid or a young person who's still figuring out what they're going to be able to do with their life so that they can you can be a productive and happy and healthy member of society. Those are all rights that we as Americans should have. And guess what? So the Supreme Court and Congress and everybody else uh, who has power and wealth don't give a crap about. It's those things. That's what critical legal study says. And they're absolutely right. And critical race theory just says, oh, there's a racial component to that. Because if you have inequalities uh, in a situation, in a a, a status quo where uh, certain races are on top and certain races are on bottom, it becomes even more and more unequal. Like, well, let's look at how bad poor people have it. And guess how how economically black people are doing badly. Therefore, black people are going to suffer disproportionately in a situation where you pass laws that punish black people. And I mean, this is exactly the same stuff uh, that uh, that, you know, Republican politics have been running on for 50 years now. You can no longer say racial slurs. So instead, you say things like uh, taxes uh, and, you know, uh, keep your neighborhoods uh, safe. uh, And then you pass a bunch of laws that disproportionately harm and target minorities uh, and white people do better. uh, And it's the same effect. And that's the danger of 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 this sort of uh, this notion of colorblind thinking, this idea that we should just uh, be neutral and we should hand these things off to judges. And when we look at a judge like, you know, Amy Coney Barrett uh, or Gorsuch or Kavanaugh or even John Roberts, and they're evaluating a case, even like this one, the gun case. And they're like, well, I'm looking at this totally, uh, totally zoomed out. Uh, just I don't I don't care about this topic. I'm just a, an impartial observer. Uh, I'm not going to think about the, the implications of it. I'm just going to say, um, well, what about a licensing scheme? Let's think about licensing schemes in lots of contexts. Can you license free speech? Well, you wouldn't want to license free speech. And that's a constitutional right. And it's like this is the most bloodless, uh, you know, zoomed out thousand foot view of this topic imaginable. Think about the people that you're affecting. The constitutional right to free speech is important, but you know what? Fewer people are getting shot by free speech than they are by guns. We should think about the implications of the people who are going to baseball games, who are going to malls, who are, you know, just going about living their lives and getting murdered by mass shooters or getting killed by overzealous trigger happy cops 
or wherever guns are being you know, used against the American populace. Think about that. Think about the real implications of, the, of that and get on the ground level with us normal humans and start thinking about how we feel about these sorts of things, about having to walk outside and walk to a crowded soft target, you know, movie theater and wonder, am I, is this going to be the next Aurora, Colorado? That's how you should be analyzing. So this. here's my reaction to your thoughts. Uh, you're raising sociological and economic and political issues, yeah. which are which are good, interesting issues. We have an ongoing debate over capitalism versus socialism, uh, the safety net. Uh, yeah. compa- you know, how do you balance our desire to be compassionate yeah. with our desire to have justice? Uh, and security and freedom, economic freedom, all kinds of other freedoms. So those are interesting issues you've raised. But when it gets back to the core question that you started with, you know, laws aren't given by God. They're they're from biases. Political beliefs are reflected in our decisions. But to me, that's a downside because I don't want jurors to be ruling for or against parties because of their biases. Uh, Oh, I hate insurance companies. Insurance companies have ripped me off. So I'm a juror in a case involving an insurance company. I'm going to vote against the insurance company. Similarly, a fancier, you know, more articulate justice on some appellate uh, court or the Supreme Court has biases. And we've talked in this podcast a lot about the fact that, oh, what a coincidence. All the Democrat appointed uh, justices are seem to be voting for the liberal progressive causes in court cases. And And all the the conservatives appointed by Republicans opposite. See, to me, that's a bad thing. You may be right in that. Well, that's the way it is. Our political. Yeah. Aren't you going outside? But I'd like to avoid it. I'd like to avoid. I'd like Justice Roberts concept of the umpire. When the umpire sees the guy running from third base and the ball's coming, he does doesn't care about the race of the catcher or the runner. Right. Isn't that what we want in a judge? I want manna from heaven. I want rivers of Laffy Taffy because it'd be delicious, although very sticky. But those aren't real. Human beings are judges. Human beings are senators. It's just sure, not it's real. real. We have it's, a right to criticize and get rid of justices. Well, like we did with Rose Bird when on, she voted against capital punishment 57 times, each time lying by saying, well, there's a technical flaw with the with the prosecution when in fact what she meant was I have a moral objection to capital punishment and dog on it I'm not going to vote to put anybody to death in any case and we took her out we w- she was recalled by the voters because the voters liked the idea of judges enforcing the law right. which included capital punishment the, the because the judges as uh, because the voters as do a lot of people in the American system, I don't even know if it's the majority, if you really got down to people being honest, but a lot of people buy the notion that the, the judges call balls and strikes. But this branch of legal academic theory of critical legal studies will tell you, and a lot of normal people will tell you, Obama appointees are liberal and, you know, so Bush appointees are, are not normal people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they'll they'll tell you they're, they're law nerds. They're definitely not normal people. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, But they... They'll tell you it's not real. And while I would love that to be the case, if you if we act like it's the case when it's not, it's the ultimate uh, failure. We're ultimately giving up on the possibility of having a good world in while we're stretching and striving for some perfect that will never be. We are totally letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. If we say, well, judges, we want judges to call balls and strikes. So let's just act like they do. Let's put our heads in the sand and say they're, they're better than they're superhuman. Let's pretend that they can uh, act without and I bias. Say, fire them if they don't. But we absolutely hire them because they do. And the then fire them if they don't. But the, who, who, who fires them? the president? 
president, the, who's a political the voters, of, of, got voter. rid of Rose Byrd, and we could impeach a Supreme Court justice if we had the cojones to do it. But we're literally never going to do it. We ha- we don't want right to, to congressman. Do it. Th- start impeaching justice. No, it, it, look, you pack the court is the real answer to it. But you 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 can't. You can't we can't say with that, more oh, people who vote their political strike. Exactly. Great we, idea. Because we recognize that the the people who are on the court are there as a result of political machinations and maneuvering. Mitch McConnell has won the, 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 the war over the Supreme Court by blocking uh, uh, liberal uh, appointees and installing. Well, you want a battle. The war goes on for centuries. And that's a very good point. And it, it really is. I mean, it, I think it really is a matter of do we want to work with human nature or against it. And if we try to work against it while pretending it doesn't even exist, we put ourselves in the worst possible scenario to be exploited by people who are saying, oh yeah, that's not how human nature works. Uh, p- uh, humans can call balls and strikes. Look, uh, philosophers have for thousands of years been talking about biases. And everybody knows you can't just shrug off your biases and and and, and close your eyes and pretend and and, and, you, and and not see race. Like, I don't see race is a is a trope. It's a joke because, of course, everyone sees everything all the time and they bring every single one of their personal biases to the table. And if we instead of admitting that our, our justices are human beings who do that and our senators are human beings who do that, and instead we say, oh, oh let's let's just be colorblind. Uh, th- that is not an answer to uh, the problem. If we just I cover have, our eyes I and have say, an idea. let's just not see race, and then uh, people people of marginalized races are going, that's great, but we're currently marginalized. Can you fix that? And you go, no, I can't fix anything because I don't see race. So I, you've inspired a, a really amazing idea, if I yeah. do say so myself in my head here, about the human nature and judges. Let's uh-huh. take the human out of human nature. I'm Let, in. You know, Major League Baseball is turning to using computers to call balls and strikes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the umpire will simply relay the decision yeah. that, that's piped into his ear with his iPhone. I can't wait until we're so uh, why not have a judge death penalty verdicts uh, by have... a computer. Exactly. You program the computer, beep, boop, beep, and the, boop, you, you then kill. input beep, the information. Boop. Why not? It would get rid of all these biased judges. Unfortunately, humans are the ones We don't start the with computers. the capital cases. Start with the jaywalking cases. So what you do is you have a human who's all flawed and biased build a computer, and of course that computer is flawed and biased. No, but then you, you have that computer Progressive build, and conservative computer experts build, build this computer. A, that computer builds another computer, and that computer builds another computer, and eventually you get so far away from humans that there's no more humanity left. Plenty and they're of just a, plenty killing of all humans, and we have Terminators. Oh, wait. Oh, no! We've had several Terminator movies. Well, we don't have time to talk about how uh, the Biden administration is fine with uh, oh, no. people uh, spanning, uh, fanning uh, across the, the fruited pain plane without COVID shots. We right. can't talk about that because we've about run out of time. Dang. But we do have time, Connor, yeah. for America's favorite game we show. We make the time. For America's favorite game yeah, show, Guess the Verdict. absolutely do. So Guess the Verdict is uh, the the game show where Connor is presented with a, a real-life case, and he gets to guess who won and who lost, and your track record's pretty good. Uh, Con, we'll see if you can uh, keep it up here. You ready for the facts? I can't wait. Gene Squire got into a pay dispute with cool his name. boss, Roy Nichols. Gene Squire quit and came up with a bright idea to get back at the evil Roy Nichols by bombarding him with magazine subscriptions. <laughs> So, Gene Squire spent every waking moment ordering 500 magazines to be sent to Nichols' home 
and to his church. This seems expensive. And to his church. That's there must be weird. free magazines. And not this kind. Needless to say, the periodicals that arrived at the church were the adult oriented. Oh, nice, variety. nice, yeah. nice. So um, Roy Nichols, the boss who's suddenly getting lots of uh, magazines, is, is mail. not happy. So he sues Gene Squire for really turning his life upside down. Yeah. So Connor, uh, you uh, get to guess the verdict to here. Did it come into evidence whether he kept any of the magazines? For no, himself? facts no other facts are available the computer is going to be programmed with these facts only all right okay okay so, all right i think saying? that i think that this is definitely harassment especially uh i i would say it's 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 effectively there's a tort uh in the legal system called false light invasion of privacy false light as in something casts you in a false light and makes you seem worse than you are somebody paparazzi takes a photograph of somebody giving themselves an injection uh, with a syringe and they they publish the the article uh and it says uh you know connor's night out or whatever and people <laughs> and people are like oh my god uh, he's doing heroin and then it turns out he's injecting insulin because he's a type 1 diabetic and that puts you in a uh, false light and i think mailing a bunch of uh, uh, paying for a bunch of porno mags to be sent to your church with your name on them absolutely puts you in a false light i think that this is you know a, a basically um a, a publication uh that pla- paints you in a false light you publish these um these uh magazines to the church by sending them in the same way that if you you know put put them in the newspaper or on the internet or wave to them in front of people's faces uh and you put this person specifically in this false light so yeah i think he collects a big judgment he uh he uh, he wins uh, what poor, if poor victim well, let's add a fact what what if hypothetically the church has a doctrine that believes that larry flint is the messiah in that case, would there really be any problem? Yeah, then it's no false. Uh, uh, then, then it's no uh, uh, defamation at all. There's no negative uh, impact at all. Yeah. In fact, it probably makes him officially the pastor. So you're right. Um, Nichols won uh, forty thousand dollars. The nice. court found there was evidence his life was substantially disrupted. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, next week, uh, to give you just a little bit of a tease, next week, the uh, guess the verdict uh, case is going to be about the world's worst yogurt. So you don't want to miss that episode of Guess the Verdict. And we're so glad you listened to this episode of Too Many Lawyers. Have yourself a great week. See you then. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen posed that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.